Welcome back to Your Average Witch, where every Tuesday I talk to a new witch about witch life, witch stories, and sometimes a little witchcraft. In this episode, I'm talking to Allie Kravitz, the Bronx Witch. Allie talks about how she found her practice in a home without magic, how she may be the only person in the room but is never alone, and how she's creating a space for a witchy community in the Bronx, and she hopes you'll come visit. But first, let's hear from one of our sponsors this week, The Rusted Rabbit. The Rusted Rabbit is a handmade crystal jewelry business based out of Michigan. Whether you're looking for a head-turning statement pendant or something more simple and dainty, they've got the piece you need. The Rusted Rabbit is run by Mike and Lindsay of Anahata's Popcorn fame. They are a married couple who each bring a different eye to this small business, making for a variety of unique items. They specialize in wire wrapping, macrame, hair accessories, and much more. They focus on the properties of the crystal they're working with and put those energies into each piece. Check out The Rusted Rabbit to find bold jewelry that's made with love and intention, made for witches by witches. Fly over to therustedrabbitgr.com and use the code YAWPQUEEN to get 15% off your entire order. That's Y-A-W-P-Q-U-E-E-N to get 15% off your entire order. You can also find them on Instagram at The Real Rusted Rabbit or on Facebook as The Rusted Rabbit. Now let's get to the stories. Hello, Allie. Welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Thank you so much for having me. I am great. Thank you for being here. Would you please introduce yourself and let everybody know who you are and what you do and where they can find you? Absolutely. My name is Allie Kravitz. I'm known online as the Bronx Witch. I am a tarot reader, Reiki master, and owner of the Bronx Witch Headquarters, which is a spiritual shop and workshare space in the Bronx, New York. Uh, you can find me on my website, bronxwitch.com. Follow me on Instagram at bronxwitch, um, or you can check out my podcast, The Better Witch Podcast, uh, on my YouTube channel and on all major podcast platforms. Now, what does it mean to you when you call yourself a witch? Uh, being a witch to me, and this might sound a little a little uh, corny, uh, folks often say witch stands for, you know, woman or a person in total control of herself. Uh, and I very much feel like that is what it means to me. Being a witch is something that has allowed me to really get to know myself in a really deep and true way. And from getting to know myself, uh, that has led me to learn to trust myself and to love myself um, very deeply. I feel very much free from a lot of the trappings and dogma and constraints that I think a lot of folks in our modern day society uh, are limited by. Um, I see myself and life in things like the trees and the rain and the stars and realize that I am no more limited than they are um, in my ability to express myself and in my ability to create the life that I want to have um, and to influence not just myself, but the people around me and the circumstances around me. Um, it's been a very beautiful and powerful journey. And um, I, I take identifying as a witch pretty, pretty seriously because it means so much to me. I love the idea that it helps 
you care for yourself. It didn't occur to me, but that is something that the more I become myself, mm-hmm. <laughs> the more I like myself. That's interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And and caring for yourself in the sense that like when you realize that the self is made up of so many more parts than just this physical body and this identity that someone slapped on us when we were born, um, you realize that there are other parts of yourself that also need care. So when we think about things like self-care, which is like a, you know, a term that we hear thrown around so much, it's often referred to in secular society as, you know, taking hot baths or having a good meal or getting good rest, which are all really important. Um, but they tend to really focus on the physical body and caring for the self that, you know, folks can see and touch. And being a witch really helps you to understand that there are so many more layers to the self and that all of those layers also need care and consideration and compassion and understanding. And when you approach yourself in that type of a holistic way, I mean, sky's the limit in terms of what you can do and how well you can be. Love, love it. Do you, would you say you have a family history with witchcraft or do you have any stories from childhood or growing up that you remember that seem particularly witchy or metaphysical? Mm, Not at all. And I am so jealous (laughs) of all the witches out there who grew up in magical homes. Um, Not at all. I grew up in a very uh, conservative Christian household. Uh, My family is from the South, Charleston, South Carolina, specifically. Um, I grew up in, I was born and raised in New York City. I am a native New Yorker all day. Uh, But my, um, you know, my family came from the South in the the 60s during a time where lots of African-Americans were migrating from the South for work and better opportunities. And so my family very much carried the South with them. Um, and so, uh, I spent a lot of time there as a child every summer. Um, I spent every single Sunday in church, most Saturdays in church as well. As a young person, my, you know, extracurricular activities were all church activities. I really just went to school to go to school and anything else in my life was a church related something or other. Um, and as I got older and became a teenager and started exploring witchcraft on my own, my mother was very opposed, uh, to the idea, very frightened by the idea, very concerned, um, for my well-being and my safety. And so unfortunately I did not have that, that type of experience, um, which would have been nice, I think. But of course, I think kids in kid fashion always rebel against whatever they grow up with. So if I if my mom was magical, I probably would be like, you know, a fundamentalist Christian at this point just cuz we <laughs> we just love being the opposite of like whatever our parents are into just to be cuz that's what you do when you're a kid, right? You you, you rebel, you do the opposite. So Absolutely. It, 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 Probably wouldn't have even been the case that I that I would have lived my life um, as a witch if I'd grown up in that environment. But um, I did not get that experience, so it was uh, difficult for me exploring witchcraft and magic um, and later in life spirituality from an environment that wasn't very supportive of that. Uh, having to sneak around and really find my own way 
um, and find other people to teach me. Um, so it was a lot of learning from books. It was a lot of going to the local occult shops here in New York and doing my best to connect with the witches that worked there or that frequented there. Um, and I had my own experiences with magic, my own success with casting spells, um, but they were definitely my own. They were not something that uh, I could share with my family members and, and even most of my friends. My friends were obviously a lot more supportive um, and far less religious themselves, uh, but not necessarily as interested in magic and witchcraft as I was. So it was a lonely journey for a long time. I was just thinking that sounds lonely. <laughs> yeah, it was. It really was. Um, it was a lot of me and my journals and my book of shadows and my tarot cards, you know, in my room at night. Um, I couldn't have an altar set up. Uh, so I had my altar tools, which were mostly made of things that I stole from my mom that she wouldn't notice like candelabras that were only used for fancy dinners and things like that. I had them all in a, a big sarong, like a big scarf uh, that I would tie up and hide under my bed. And at night I would pull it out, lay it on the floor, set up my altar and experiment and uh, pull cards for myself and things like that. Um, so it was definitely very lonely, but um, I think a lot of good came out of that as well. Now, let's bring us into present day. What sort of practice do you have? Do you have any daily or regular rituals or practices that you'll share with us? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I think daily practice and daily rituals are a, a super important part to going from um, that place where you might be calling yourself a baby witch or um saying that you're just dabbling or interested to really being able to stand confidently in the identity of a witch. Uh, every morning I wake up uh, and spend sometimes as much as an hour and a half in prayer and meditation. Uh, but if I'm, you know, running late, <laughs> it's may maybe just 10 minutes. Um, but uh, I, I make sure to start my day with a moment of prayer. And prayer um, is a word that can sort of be loaded for people. But for me, I just say prayer is just a politely worded uh, request to the universe. And um, so I start off by acknowledging the four quarters, the four elements, the four directions, giving thanks um, for the fact that this body of mine gets to do this human experience once again, and setting intentions for how I uh, desire the day to go. Um, I might honor a particular spirit uh, on that day, give offerings of some kind. I might do some meditating or some journaling. I might pull cards for myself um, and things like that. But I, I start my day off uh, kind of just grounding myself and acknowledging the incredibly complicated beauty that it is that I get to be alive right now and be in this body right now and uh, kind of forecast what what magic I want to come out of the day for myself. So that happens every day shortly after I wake up. Dang. That's, <laughs> that sounds so good. <laughs> <laughs> it is good. It is good. It feels really good. It, um, 
it's a great way to start the day. Um, and sometimes there, there are occasions, you know, no one's perfect where I, I'm just, I wake up just too late or something weird is happening and I can't do it. And um, it makes a big difference to, to start your day off with intention and acknowledging, you know, that you're, you're not alone, that your spirit is, first of all, that you are a spirit in a body and that your spirit is not the only one in this universe or this reality and that you're interacting with energies and spirits all the time. And you can either be a victim to that. You can just wake up and let the day blow you around like a leaf in the wind and um, suffer the consequences of that. Or you can ground yourself deeply into the earth that we're on like a tree and say the wind may blow, but I am going to stay steady and have the day that I want to have. And it's not some perfect, you know, solution. Um, Life is hard. Life is very, very hard. And some days I get to the end of it and uh, it's just devastating and I'm in tears and I'm struggling. Um, but I do believe that it would be far worse if I if I don't start my day at least trying um, to be grounded. Dang. <laughs> That's all I can say about that. <laughs> would you say witchcraft has changed your life? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, witchcraft is my life now, and it wasn't always – that way. Um, I think that it's, it's hard to describe, honestly, the ways in which it's changed my life because it's so extensive. I mean, we'd be here for days because everything that I do in life is a little bit different than it would have been, uh, before I really assumed that identity and really fully stepped into that space. Um, Everything from how I eat, what I eat, drinking water, how much of it I drink, what what I do before I drink some water, my showers every evening, the fact that I take a shower every evening, um, all of these things are connected to what I understand about myself. And witchcraft ha- has been the the lens that has allowed me to see myself um, in its true form and realizing that I don't benefit from doing most things the way I would if I weren't a witch. I think so much of how we live is programmed into us from very early on, and those programs are not made to benefit us. They are made so that we stay workers, so that we stay consumers, so that we stay followers, so that we stay complacent and okay with things like injustice and oppression. Um, And being a witch, I think, helps you to step outside of that programming and write your own script and your own program. Um, And just like a computer You know, if you give it a different operating system, it does everything different. Every keystroke changes. So um, my life has changed dramatically being a witch and is very different than I think it would be if I weren't 
that prior to starting the recording, we were talking about how it's chilly here in Arizona, but mm. now suddenly I feel warmer because of the mm. things you talked about. Yeah, get me riled up, and now yeah. I'm kind of <laughs> pumped up, kind of mad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. I think it's a justified anger uh, when we think about that we aren't set up for spiritual success from the start. That doesn't really serve other people, even our parents. It doesn't really serve our parents for us to be aware of the power that we hold because then we're less easy to control. And Exactly. Most, right. And most parents are overworked and overwhelmed and emotionally immature and unprepared for parenting. And mm-hmm. um, it is a lot easier if you can get your children to do what you say simply because you say it um, and not question that or have their own ideas. And it, it's, um, it's, it's much more exhausting. And I don't have kids, so I definitely come uh, to this probably with very limited experience. But in watching my sister uh, attempt to raise my niece and interacting with my friends who've had children and just observing parents with their children. Um, it's, it's not really in the average parent's benefit to have a child that understands that they're a spirit being, that they can influence the world <laughs> around them, that they can talk to trees and take their guidance from higher powers, make decisions for themselves to some extent, and be free thinkers um, when you are exhausted and you just need your kid to go to bed when you say and not be friends with that person because you said so or, eat you know, your <laughs> eat your dinner, right? Eat your vegetables or come wear home from that shirt. party. <laughs> wear, right. Wear this, especially stuff like that. Because when it comes to things like um, eating your vegetables and things of that nature, I think we can all agree that there's a lot of benefit to eating well or things like that. But you know, when parents want to tell you what color your hair can be or what you can wear to school, ultimately they are really just not in a place where they have the energy to argue with other people who might not approve um, or deal with the fallback that you might experience and that you might go through emotionally if you are teased as a result of what you choose to wear or have problems in your school because of it. They don't have the energy and the time to help you cope with that or to go to, you know, battle on your behalf with others who might disagree with your choices. And so it's easier to just tell you don't wear that for their sake. So, you know, even our parents who love us so much and and probably want better for us than anyone else in the world don't really want us to have the power that witches have. (laughs) Dang. <laughs> so many I, I sound had, bites. Uh, I'm glad you feel that way. I always had to say, I don't know if the parents out there will agree because, you know, when you tell parents that, um, especially when you're not a parent and you tell them that they're being lazy or that they're um, not being selfish, right. Or being selfish um, when it comes to their children. I don't, I can totally understand why that wouldn't be well received. So. 
I'm sure I all don't of have the, kids either. So yeah, I'm sure <laughs> all of us who don't have kids who are probably in therapy because of our traumas from our parents are like, yes. Um, Hello. <laughs> right. But people who have kids are probably like, this you don't chick know what knows it's like. Nothing. You don't understand. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, you say so. I will see your kid in a tarot session 20 years from now. <laughs> We'll see whether or not this approach would have been better. <laughs> what would you say is the biggest motivator in your practice? Mm. You know, if I could be honest, I think my biggest motivator is um, knowledge, either knowledge or power, but I think you know, they say knowledge is power. So I, I think they overlap and in some ways are the same. I ha- was just always that kid that wanted to have the answer. My mom found this very frustrating. I, you know, <laughs> had to have the last word and I was convinced that I was right. And, um, but I, I call it I'm right itis. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely suffered from that for a long time. And I and to some extent I still do, except I I'd like to think at least that now I understand that um oftentimes there is no right answer. That's first. Um and second, that being right doesn't always accomplish what you want. Sometimes Sometimes people can't handle you being right and you get a lot farther by letting them just think you're wrong and just being okay with see, being seen as wrong. Um, there's a lot of power in admitting when you're wrong. That was something that I struggled with for a long time. I'm a Leo son, so, you know, Leo, <laughs> we're not wrong. <laughs> you're just misunderstanding um, <laughs> is usually how we look at things. So I've had to reel that in a bit and realize that, you know, no, sometimes I am just really loud and totally wrong. And, um, and, and it's important that I acknowledge that and be okay with like the embarrassment or the shame that might come from that. But I think that for me, my practice, the reason why witchcraft was so appealing to me as a kid was I wanted to know things. And in my very Christian household, asking questions often resulted in answers like, because, Mm -hmm. you know, very empty, well, this is how we do it, or this is what it says in this book. And no one could give me really good answers about like, why, or how do we know this? Who said this and when, and and why haven't we challenged that? Does that make sense for today's world? Like, I don't understand. And I, I realized that the people around me didn't have answers to my questions and that frustrated me. And witchcraft, um, when I was learning about it in the early days, um, I'm Wiccan and a lot of the writing that I was exposed to at that time was uh, based on Wiccan practice and Wiccan practice gave me answers. And if it didn't give me answers, it gave me tools for how I could find those answers for myself, especially when it came to trying to understand how I, as someone who identifies as a woman, fit into a world where God is only a man. And Wicca gave me other answers and said, what about the goddess? And um, you can know her too. And so knowledge is, for me, something that you have to experience. I don't think that knowledge is the same as just repeating something that you've heard or you've read. And um, I felt powerful whenever I knew 
something. I had experienced something for myself and could say with confidence that this is how it is. Or even if just this is how it is for me, it wasn't a whole bunch of speculating. And um, I felt like the religious folks around me were doing a lot of speculating, but claiming to know. And I was frustrating. Yeah. And I wanted to just like know things. Um, And uh, I feel very powerful when I have the answer or an answer to something and, and uh, witchcraft has helped me to, to do that, find answers for myself. Here's a random question. Yeah. Brought to me by therapy. Yeah. Amen to that. (laughs) So with knowledge, do you like to know things because it helps you feel safer? Because that's my thing. That's why Mm. I like to know everything. Because if I know things, then I can protect myself against the things I don't know. Yeah. I'm sure there's an element of that. Um, for sure. I think my my childhood trauma <laughs> that leads to that um, has a little bit more to do with others. Um, when I was a kid, I was kind of – knowing things didn't really help me much when I was a kid. My mother, you know, was born in 1941, and she went to school in a little yellow house – down the road in very, very rural South Carolina um, and didn't go to school beyond high school in the 50s. And then here I come along, you know, many years later in her life and I'm this hotshot brainiac kid going to private school in New York City. And by the time I was in fifth grade, she couldn't assist me with my homework anymore. And um that didn't help me. It didn't help me to be knowledgeable at that time because it created a big rift between us and um, kind of put us in two different worlds um, and made it really hard for us to relate to each other and, and ultimately to even just like get along. I think the reason why I became so driven to know things, despite how much uh, chaos it kind of caused in my house, was because I was my sister's first lawyer. (laughs) And um, my younger sister came along and I was like her advocate with my mom for why she could be allowed to do things and why she shouldn't (laughs) be allowed to go to this party, why it was okay for her to do this thing or the third. And, you know, she would often employ me to be the person to go explain to my mother why (laughs) she should be allowed to do X, Y, or Z. And knowledge was the thing that I had to help to do that. And that actually translated into me thinking for a really long time that I wanted to be a lawyer. I went to the George Washington University Law School for two years um, before realizing that that wasn't my path and leaving. And um, uh, yeah, so knowledge really came from a place of, of wanting to be the person in the room that could defend all the other people that didn't have the words or the knowledge uh, to do it for themselves. Um, I appreciate you. Yeah, I think I make a really good advocate. And I I felt like, you know, I can advocate better for people the more I know. So that was kind of my my motivation. Love it. Mm. Before I ask the next question, let's hear from our sponsor, Full of Intention. Are you looking for quality handmade magical items for your practice? Perhaps a dressed spell or altar candle a crystal bracelet, or a magical oil to aid in your workings. 
Full of Intention is a purveyor of high-quality handmade goods made by and for witches. Bring luck, love, and abundance into your life with a little help from Full of Intention. Shop the online boutique at www.fullofintention.com. Listeners can use promo code WITCH20 to save 20% on your first order. In addition to candles, oils, and crystal jewelry, the shop also features stunning macrame decor for your home and altar, tea blends, and more, all made with intention. For additional information, online tutorial, and magical content, visit the Full of Intention shop, as well as our TikTok and YouTube channels. Links will be in the show notes. What would you say is your biggest struggle when it comes to witchcraft? Mm. My biggest struggle is patience, perhaps. Um, <laughs> <laughs> knowing knowing that people people work magic and practice witchcraft from different perspectives. Uh, so I acknowledge that not everybody comes to the practice of witchcraft from the sort of spiritual slash religious viewpoint that I come to it as. Um, um, for me, I see myself as um, limited by my human body, and therefore it's necessary for me to get assistance and even perhaps authority uh, from the spiritual beings that I conjure that I call on in order to assist me with magic. Not everybody looks at it that way. Um, a lot of people practice magic from the perspective of uh, just empowering their own will and their own spiritual self to do what is necessary. Um, but I feel like I'm living in the human world. I'm no longer in the spirit world. And so even though I am a spirit, ultimately um, I sort of need a liaison, if I, if you will. And, um, because of that, I go to spirit in my magical practice, especially when I'm casting or manifesting something. And that means once I kind of hand over the instructions and the request, it's, it's out of my hands. And, um, that means I have to be patient for that particular entity to do what they need to do on the other side, to align everything, to, to get me what I, what I want. My job is to take care of the stuff in the physical, right? So if I've casted for a new, I don't know, apartment, um, then in the physical world, I've got to start packing up my stuff and throwing away Look, things. Actually looking for an apartment. <laughs> actually looking for where apartments are listed, checking them out, you know. I've got to start doing the the physical stuff. Um, and then they'll do the rest. But uh, sometimes I get a little impatient um, with the process and want it to happen and have to remind myself that, hey, you know, everything is conspiring in my benefit so that the best outcome can happen, not just the outcome. You know, I could get an apartment and then it's crappy or I can't move into it or it's not in an ideal location. And Spirit is ultimately trying to have not just the outcome that I want, but the best version of the outcome that I want. And um, it's not for me to interfere with uh, how that comes to be. It's for me to hold the vision of what I want and uh, do the work in the physical world to make space for that. So that when it happens, I'm in the best place that I can be to receive it. But that can be hard. I love hearing how different people view 
how their magic works. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Same. (laughs) What would you say brings you the most joy in your practice? Hmm. I think what brings me the most joy is just knowing that I'm not alone. Um, because having a practice means interacting with energy and realizing that, um, that that is a living force in the world. And that even if I'm in a room by myself, even if I have no friends, no family, if I'm a completely solitary creature somehow, um, that I'm not alone. And I think that's actually something that really helped me as a kid when I was very physically alone, um, in my interests and in my pursuit of magic, I never really felt lonely. You know, I wasn't like, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm so by myself. It was just like, Oh, I don't have people that are interested in this, but there's energy that's very interested in this and that's helping me with my interests. And so I get a lot of joy out of that. And that helps me to keep joy through the hard times in life. You know, um, I feel sad all the time, but the joy never goes away. And so that helps me to navigate things like sadness much better. And um, that definitely comes from my practice. I've mentioned before, but that one of my, I'm going to say crazy fears, (laughs) is that all the atoms that um, consist that, that I consist of are suddenly going to decide they don't want to be me anymore and leave. Mm. But it never occurred to me to be soothed by the fact that they are here and they are existing together and that they're not the only ones who are hanging out with me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, even if you practice magic from a place where you don't call on any spirits to assist you with anything, you just tap into your own spirit self, higher self, um, whatever you call it, um, you're st- you're not alone because of that. At the very least, you have one other being that is with you. You know, there's you, the human self that like lives and breathes on this earth, and then there's you, the spirit self that does all the magic and manipulates energy around you. So, if nothing else, you have at least one other partner in this journey. That hurts my brain a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to ponder that later. <laughs> yeah. What What is something that you did early on in your practice that you don't do anymore? And why don't you do it? Mm. There are definitely lots of little things that I like tried for a while and stopped doing. Um Little things like uh, burning ancestor money, for example, um, which is a tradition that we get from Eastern cultures, um, East Asian cultures, um, which is the the practice of burning what's called hell notes or joss paper. Um, it's a, a fake piece of currency um, that is burned to essentially send energy, send currency to uh, the spirits of the dead to our ancestors. And that's kind of made its way over to the West and some practices that are Western practices have incorporated that and, and picked up on that. And for a while, 
I was trying to burn ancestor money at my ancestor altar and, um, they were just like, girl, we are not Asian. Like, what are you doing? And I was like, I don't know. This is what people are doing. They say we should be doing this. And they were like, no, you can totally stop buying those. And I was like, thanks. Okay. Um, (laughs) No problem. So, you know, there's little stuff like that where I'm a solitary practitioner. So that means I don't have a coven and I'm an eclectic witch, um, which means I'm I'm not initiated into um, a singular tradition. And so that means it's been a lot of trial and error for me, um, which may not have been the case if I were, or certainly wouldn't be the case if I were like initiated into a particular tradition that already had a lot of systems and structures and, you know, rules for how you do this or how you go about that or how you approach the spirit or how you make this happen. Um, so it's been a lot of trial and error for me. So There's definitely little things like that. One of the big things probably um, that I no longer do is think that everything I learn needs to be incorporated into my practice. That's probably the biggest change. Um, As a young witch, everything I learned, I felt like, well, I have learned this thing. I must now start doing it. And um I've learned that I can educate myself on what other witches are doing, what other practices and traditions are all about. Um, but that doesn't mean it's for me just because I've learned about it. And Lord. Um, yeah, that has um that certainly saves me a lot of Say money. That one again. <laughs> it definitely saves me some coin, that's for sure, because I'm like going out buying all kinds of things for things that are really not for me. So um, so I love learning about spiritual practices, magical practices, different traditions, but no longer feel like because I've learned something, that means I now need to become an expert in it and start doing it um, and become a spokesperson for it and all of that stuff. I can just learn about something um, and and keep it moving. Yes. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite tool that you use, like an actual physical thing, um, and how do you use it? Mm, my favorite. I guess it doesn't have to be physical if it's like my brain. No. <laughs> yeah, no, all those things are great. Uh, those things are great. But, you know, I do have tools that I like to use a lot. Um, I use my candle snuffer a lot. Ooh, I use my candle snuffer a lot. I have one pretty much everywhere and anywhere where I have a candle, which is in a lot of places. Um, what kinds I'm, do you I'm, have? I'm an altar maker. Well, you know, honestly, the underside of any container sometimes is my snuffer, <laughs> but I do try to actually get snuffers. Um, you know, really whatever I find, but I have, I would say most of mine are brass snuffers um, that I've gotten from different new age shops. And now that I have a shop, I carry a few um, around. But one of my favorites is um, a style that I have here in the shop. It's very short and small. And the head of the snuffer is on a hinge, which makes it much easier to like drop down into tall candles Mm -hmm. um, or reach across things across my altar and like put out a candle that's in the back of the altar or kind of far away from me. Um, So I do like those are very handy. And because it has a short handle, it's easy to pack up in my little travel bag. If I, if I'm traveling and plan on lighting some candles when I'm traveling. 
Um, so I do like that. So it's a very practical tool, but it gets a lot of use uh, from me for sure. What do you think of the candle, the loops that you like dip the the wick dipper? Oh, I don't know. I don't know about that. What's a wick dipper? Um, imagine just like a, a stick and uh-huh. it has a little like circle that like your pinky could fit into maybe. Mm. And you put it around the wick as it's burning and then you dip it down into the candle into the melted wax and then you pull it back out Mm -hmm. and it puts that extinguishes the flame that way oh my i've never even seen this i love that i'm all for it (laughs) i'm all for it um yeah i've never used one like that um but i can totally see how it would would work for sure I gotta I'm look lazy into and I do I do what you do and just put something on top of it. Yeah, I do that a lot. And like a, a lot of my random items have like a little burned soot spot on the bottom because I, I yeah. do that. Often. And I was like, I should stop doing that. I'm definitely going to melt something one day. Um, so I do get lazy that way. But that that is why I try to have a snuffer in every space where I might be lighting a candle um, so that I don't do that too much. But yeah, I get yeah. a lot of use of my, uh, out of my snuffers. That's neat. That's an unexpected. I never even it even never occurred to me. To say, yeah. That's cool. It's very magical because I do prefer, especially if I am lighting a candle that has been set with an intention uh, to not blow it out. Yeah, so that's important to have something to be able to do it. Uh, you know, to to snuff it out easily, and um, I just don't have the guts to pinch it out with my finger. And I know sometimes, that that sometimes is, I'll do that. Oh, that is so badass. I just only, only if it's a ch- like a chime candle or a pillar that I can reach easily. Yeah, yeah, but no. I'm still scared. I it makes me very nervous and um I know it's super badass to do it and um I love when witches just like lick their fingers and put it out. I'm just like, "Oh, you are the supreme." I do metalwork, oh. so I burnt a, I like that you, you know how we're like chefs are like I burnt the sensation yeah. out of my finger. I've kind of done that because I work with mm. metal. So yeah, my my mom like she, you know she's one of these old school cooks from being in the kitchen forever. Like her way of tasting food is to take a spoon of like the piping hot whatever that's on the stove and she just pours it into the palm of her hand and drinks it out of yeah. the palm of her hand. And I'm always like, "Are you okay?" And she's like, "I'm fine." I'm like, unbelievable. <laughs> I am not there. I'm definitely a little sissy with little sissy hands. Yeah, I'm not doing that either. (laughs) Nope. Not the palm. The fingertips, yes, but I'm not. No, she pours it right into the palm of her hand, scalding soup, whatever it is, and just slurps it out. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. And she'll be like, come here. And I'm like, absolutely not, lady. Give me the spoon. I'm going to blow on it for 10 minutes, and then I'm going to try this. Exactly. If you could only recommend one book to a new witch, what would it be? Kim, that is so hard because uh, we're all we're all such different new (laughs) witches, you know. Um, You know, I would, I would maybe, uh, mm, okay, let's see. 
I'm going to try to think about this from a totally like non-denominational standpoint because I definitely have books that I recommend to start with if you are interested in Wicca or you are interested in hoodoo or, you know, et cetera. But I would say if you are just interested in witchcraft in general and you just want to get started in kind of a very easy, approachable um not woo-woo kind of way. You just want to have some practices that help you to start thinking about life in a magical way. I would recommend Good Juju by Naja Lightfoot. It's published by Llewellyn. Um, and she is just recently or very soon to release her next book, Powerful Juju. But I would start with Good Juju. Um, it's a very, it's a small book. It's very simply written, um, and it just gives you a good overview of just how to start living a magical life. Um, some very introductory rituals or prayers or um, things to think about um, in, in terms of connecting more deeply with nature, with the goddess, with yourself, Um and that kind of really doesn't matter what type of witchcraft you are interested in. This would be a good place to start. And then from there you can say, okay, I'm particularly interested in this type of craft or I have ancestry here and want to learn more about these practices or I love tarot and I want to learn more about that. But this gives a really good overview of uh, just, just, ways to get started on practicing magic and incorporating witchcraft into your life. Nice. Mm -hmm. Who would you say are the three biggest influences on your practice or what, who or what? On my practice. Mm. Um, Nowadays that would be the spirit of my grandfather, Robbie Glover Jr., uh, he was the first ancestor to come through um, to me and and whose spirit I could feel standing in front of me and in my space and really made himself known that like we are still here. Um, so I go to him first and foremost, really, when approaching the other um, the the other ancestors that I call on or honor. Um I would say these are like human people we're talking about. It doesn't even have to be people. It can be just like thoughts or experiences or a book. Mm. Okay. So, yeah, definitely my my grandfather. Um, I would say my prayer book um, is super important to my practice. I take it with me most places. It's a book where I have written down prayers that I have uh, written, but also prayers that I have taken from others for various things. Um, and I crack it open all the time. Um, and I would say the goddess, uh, in her very, very many, many forms, um, absolutely integral to my practice and to who I am as a person. Hmm. Do you have any advice for anybody just starting out? I have tons of advice. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I think it uh, probably the most important goes back to what I was saying earlier about asking yourself the why. I think that's super important in the beginning. It's the last question that anybody ever really talks about. You know, it's like, oh, you're new to witchcraft. How do you do this? What do you put on your altar? What, you know, how do I make this thing? Or how do I cast this spell? And really the first question should be why. Why are you interested in witchcraft in the first place? Um, And it's okay if the answer is because I saw it on a TV show and I think it's really cool. Or I don't feel powerful in my real life and I want to find that somehow. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, that it, We're allowed to want that. Yeah, that's okay. It doesn't have to be some deep spiritual reason. It doesn't have to be... Um, for the good of the world. Right. Because I mean, it's you nice, wanna, but, it does, but you're allowed to want things for yourself. Right. Exactly. It's okay if you are in high school and you're being bullied and you feel really powerless and helpless and you want to take your power back. Um, what you then do with that and then how you navigate with that is, is, is important to consider, uh, cause you could be bringing more conflict into your life than resolution and peace. Um, but if, if, if for yourself, that's the reason, then that's the reason. But, um, I don't think that new witches have been told enough. And so they don't know that the why is the most important place to start and constantly come back to what and the how and the where do I put this and the when do I do that? That's all stuff that you will be able to far more easily establish and understand for yourself if you know why you're doing something. You know, if I know why I'm putting lavender in this thing, then it's going to make it a lot easier for me to know when to use lavender, what things to use lavender in, where to put the lavender, what to do if I don't have lavender, etc. But if you don't know why, then all the other stuff is very difficult and you need someone else to direct you. And that's not really you. that's not really witchcraft. That's imitation. That's not the same. Oh. That's probably going to hurt some feelings. Yeah, that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right. Who would you like to see on this show answering these questions? Mm. I would like to. Oh, that's oh, that's that's a really good one, Kim. Um, Because these are really great questions. Um, and I have so many witches that I admire and I'm interested in and would love to hear their take on these things. Um, I would say I would love to see Madame Pamita. Have you spoken with her yet? She's on my wish list. I made a new wish list for the year and she's on it. <laughs> I would say Pammy. She is great. Um, a great source of information. She's really down to earth and personable, um, but also very experienced and knowledgeable. So talking to her is, uh, is great fun. Um, and there's a lot that you can learn from her and her experiences without, I think, feeling overwhelmed um, or like someone is just like so in their spiritual head that they're kind of forgetting what everyday people are like. 
Um, you know, she, she will talk about what it's like just being a parent, trying to be a small business owner, having a shop, you know, she was, she's in a band. She's like super cool, you know, just like a regular kind of chick, you know? And, um, but at the same time, super magical, super knowledgeable, um, especially about, um, Slavic magic and, um, yeah, I think it would be a lot of fun to hear her answer these questions. Cool. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to bring up? Anything I didn't ask or anything you wanted to ask me? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, thank you so much for a- asking all of these questions. I feel like they're very um, insightful and um, I got to talk about me a little bit, which I enjoy, but also <laughs> hopefully- I'm just real nosy. Yeah. So. <laughs> but also hopefully share some things that are- beneficial to the next witch that's kind of the or well it is the the premise and the purpose of of my podcast the better witch podcast is to help people go from baby witches to better witches um and i feel like one of the best ways to do that um is to hear from other witches that are practicing about their experiences so asking questions about things I would do differently or that I've changed or that I have to have, um, I think are, are helpful for other witches to hear and hear the reasons, you know, behind that and why. Um, and I guess what I would ask you is, you know, we as witches don't have to, um, be public about our practices. It's, 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 it's kind of a big decision, to be in a public forum and expose yourself to, you know, folks who may not be so happy that you're being public or that you call yourself a witch or things like that. And so I'm curious what your experience has been like um, being a podcaster, but just in general being out um, and public about being uh, a practitioner. How, how has that journey been for you? I'm going to tell two, I'm going to tell two instances. Yeah. The first one is when I publicly said to someone that I don't know at all that I'm a witch. Mm -hmm. And that was when I was trying to get some of my jewelry into this shop that opened up downtown in Colorado Springs. Mm -hmm. And they were, I made little planchettes. Mm -hmm. And then when they said, well, what do you do? And I said, I make witch stuff. And they said, what does that mean? Mm. <laughs> so I said, well, I'm a witch. I make jewelry and tools for, for witches. And then they later came back and said, we, we, we decided we're not going to work with you. My husband is afraid of Ouija boards. Mm. <laughs> I was like, all right. Anyway. <laughs> but more recently, actually in December, somebody reached out to me specifically because I'm a witch, a public witch Mm -hmm. and said hey we're doing a witch thing at this local bookstore can you come and sell stuff yeah it's like oh yeah oh yeah Yeah. (laughs) so i i don't know if that exactly answers your question but i don't know i'm just trying to care less (laughs) yeah for sure yeah because you're gonna get that mixed you know, yeah. it's going to always be like that. You're going to get some people that are just totally opposed or 
really weirded out. Um, I am located in a building. My shop is located in a building that's part commercial, part residential. So it's commercial on the ground floor and then apartments above. And, um, the, uh, I got a delivery from the USPS and it was not my usual postal person. And, uh, this guy, I'm five feet tall and 125 pounds. And this guy was probably six feet tall, big black guy with dreads, probably near 300 pounds, just massive guy took up my entire doorway. And when you come to my doorway, one of the first things that you can see um, is a mat, a a floor mat that says the witch is in, you know, and it has the sort of typical witch on a broomstick silhouette. And uh, he comes to the door. And as I'm walking over to the door to greet him, he literally just goes (gasps) and like jumps back a few inches (laughs) in feet like the boogeyman was standing there. And I was like, are you okay?" And he was like, yeah, I just I I, uh, just saw your mat just scared me a bit. And I was like, it scared you, my floor mat. And he was like, well, I, I just. I just, the witch, what's that about? And I was like, well, I'm the witch. And he like looks at me and I was like, do I look scary to you? You know? And um, I'd like to think I'm still a cutie, patootie, hot tamale. You know what I'm saying? Um, and he looked at me and was like, no, actually, you're very not scary. Um, and I was like, great. Um, you can stop flirting now because you made yourself look like an absolute idiot being afraid of my floor mat. Um, but yeah, I'm the witch here and I'm not scary at all. And I'm glad that you learned something today. Give me my package. Nice to meet you. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? So you'll have people who are literally physically frightened by the idea of you. Um, and then I have people who walk by and are like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. It's so dangerous that you're in my apartment building. I'm going to be down here buying crystals all the time and talking to you all the time. And, um, you know, there's a little old lady named Carmen who's never bought anything here and probably never will, but she comes in every day just to say hi and make sure I'm okay. One day it was late in the evening and I had closed the door, but I didn't close it all the way. Um, and I was like packing up and stuff and she rings the doorbell and I go to the door and I'm like, oh, hi, hello. And she goes, I saw that your door was ajar and I just got nervous that something wasn't well and just wanted to make sure that you were okay and that you know that your door is open. And I was just like, thank you, Carmen, so much. I truly so appreciate kind. you. And, um, you know, judging from her background, I'm 100% sure she grew up in a Latin Catholic household, um, but she checks on me every time she passes by um, and just stops in to give me encouragement and, and tell me how much she hopes my shop stays here and that it does well. Um, and all of that. My heart. Yeah. I love <laughs> shout out to Carmen, you know, could probably take that postal worker down with her love and kindness. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's definitely a mixed bag of reactions that you get and it, you, you kind of never know what people are going to say. I've had people laugh in my face, like belly Mm -hmm. roll Santa Claus laugh in my face when I say I'm a witch because the idea is just so ridiculous to them uh, based on what their conception of a misconception of what a witch is. Do you think you're at Hogwarts? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you get that all the time. Yes, friend. I think I'm at Hogwarts. Ha, ha, ha. You know, and um, yeah. So, and that can be very hurtful. Um, so it's not, it's not easy. So I definitely, 
You know, every time I meet a fellow witch that's out in the world, making their crafts, sharing themselves in the public, telling people to their faces, yep, I'm a witch. Whatever you take from that is what you take from that. I, you know, say hats off to you. And I definitely um, wish you much love and luck and success with all the things you're working on and with this podcast. Thanks. Gosh. Yeah, for sure. Oh, well, (laughs) same to you. Thank you. Now, the last two things. Yeah. Number one, please recommend something to the listeners. It doesn't have to be metaphysical or witchy, spiritual, just just anything, whatever you're into right now. I recommend therapy. Hell yes. Yes. I recommend therapy for every single person on the surface of the earth. You do not need to be, quote unquote, struggling or have gone through some specific trauma that you can put your finger on. Um, or anything like that for therapy to be beneficial to you. Everything that you do as a adult or someone close to an adult, I imagine most folks tuning in or at least of teenage age, um, everything that you do as a person is directly tied to the things that you experienced as a child for better or for worse. And it's important to know why you do the things you do, why you tick the way that you tick. I don't think it's possible for a witch to be a witch if they do not know themselves. And if you don't understand why you navigate life the way that you do, you don't really know yourself. And it's going to be very difficult to manipulate or influence the people or things around you if you don't know how it is that you can do that in the first place. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I recommend therapy to absolutely everybody so that you can get to know yourself. When you get to know yourself, then you begin to trust yourself and love yourself and see the power that you hold. Um, and, and you are in control rather than your life experiences or your emotions or your unchecked or unaddressed uh, traumas being in control of you. Yes. Yeah. Last thing. Would you please tell us a story? Preferably one that if you have a family reunion and everybody's sitting around on the back porch or the patio, or I don't, I don't, I don't know what New York life looks like, but in my, where I'm from. Yeah. It would be a big backyard with a grill. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah, not a lot of that here. It'd be like in the park, <laughs> in the park, hanging out. But your your family's all around and everybody's hanging out and you're like, remember when cousin whoever did thing? Mm-hmm. That story. <laughs> mm. Hmm. It doesn't have to be a family reunion story, but that sort of thing where you're like, this is a story I like and it makes me laugh. Yeah, well, I will tell the story of my cousins because they like to tell this story. And I was very, very young when it happened, so I don't have a memory of it, but it's always gets a good laugh out of people. Uh, When I was like maybe three or four years old, so I was able to walk around but not really talk yet, my cousins were employed with the task of babysitting me. 
which is always like, why? Why do parents do this? But I can understand it. <laughs> so my cousins were visiting from out of town and they were allowed to babysit me and they were, you know, teenagers at the time. And they thought it was just so funny to uh, take Kool-Aid, Kool-Aid packets um, and sugar and a little bit of water and make these like concentrated sugar Kool-Aid balls and give them to me and then watch me like run around in like with my face all scrunched up and literally running into walls because they were so sweet and sour. Um, I am not sure how long this went on for, um, but it was like their favorite pastime. And I'm pretty sure that I still suffer some damage either from hitting the walls or the sugar content. Okay. Because things are very jumbled in there these days. And, um, yeah, I think that that was it. But yeah, my cousins, that was what they would do. And my mom wasn't around. They would make these little Kool-Aid sugar balls that they would feed to me. And then they'd be like, oh my God, watch her reaction. And I'd be like, and I'd be like running around, <laughs> but not old enough to really like talk about it or say anything. So no one knew what was going on until I was like an adult and they like confessed oh. their crimes. But now, now they love to tell that story to anyone, especially I'm married now, but um, you know, if I was dating someone, I'd be like, let's tell you about the time <laughs> when Allie was three and we used to give her sugar balls and she would run around in her diaper and fall over. I'm like, oh, <laughs> great story. Thanks. <laughs> so that one, that one gets told a lot. I'm 36 now, so I feel like we can move on, but no, we like, they like to tell <laughs> that one still to this day. <laughs> I'm guilty of that. Yeah. <laughs> sort of. Those those birdie bots every every flavor jelly beans. Mm. Little kids don't know. <laughs> Little kids can't read that it tastes like sardines. Right. Sorry to my nieces. <laughs> How cruel. We're so yes. terrible. My apologies to my niece. That's why I give them $50 for their birthdays all oh, the time. That makes up for it, I'm sure. <laughs> I, I would definitely eat a sardine flavored jelly bean for fifty bucks, no problem. So, um, I don't actually. I don't know if I would. Really, I'm down. Fish makes me barf. Oh, <laughs> I don't mind fish terribly, but I like fifty dollars way more. So I'm. I would. It depends on how. If my head hurt, then no. But if I didn't mind barfing that day, sure, sure, right? Because I would vomit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> On that super fun note, thank right. you for being on the show. Yes, on the on the note of vomit. <laughs> this has hopefully not been word vomit and been helpful to some of you. It helped me. Oh, good, good. <laughs> good. But thank you again. Yeah, sure. Um, so you can find me in real life because I'm witching in real life here in the South Bronx um, at Bronx Witch Headquarters. We're a spiritual shop and work share space, which means that in addition to candles, crystals, tarot decks, books used and new, uh, we also have space for practitioners to reserve tables to do tarot readings for clients and a private room for Reiki healers, massage therapists, yoga teachers, basically anyone who needs reservable space to uh, grow their practice. Um, a lot of the work that we do really benefits from face-to-face -face contact with folks, but uh, going to people's homes or bringing them into your home can be very challenging, not so desirable. And so I've created a space where practitioners can work 
um, and serve their communities in a space that's safe and that's got all of the amenities that you need, free Wi-Fi and wireless printing and coffee and tea and storage and all of that great stuff. And our goal is to be the hub of witchcraft in the Bronx. If you are looking for witches, if you think you might be a witch, if you want to be a witch, if you need the tools to be witching, um, we want to be the place that you come to to find those products, those services, but also that community. Uh, we have events and classes here uh, that will perhaps introduce you to your next witchy best friend. So if you are local, definitely check us out. Um, the South Bronx is one of the most underserved places in this country still. We have some of the lowest literacy rates, some of the highest uh, chronically ill and elderly um, members of the community. We are 94% people of color, and most of our households are families with children under the age of 18. And uh, COVID did not make any of those numbers any better. And so um, if you feel like this is the type of place that you want to see in areas like this, but you don't live here, please visit our website, bronxwitch.com. There is a link of ways that you can support us from donating books to donating supplies, to donating funds, um, and it would be of great help. So I do hope that you go to the website and learn more about us and maybe a little bit more about me and uh, reach out and support this growing community. Love it. Love it. Yeah. You can find that link in the show notes below or wherever it is on wherever you're listening. Mm -hmm. Okay. And thank you again for being on the show and I will see you on the internet. Bye. Bye. Blessed be. Welcome to Patreon. Oh, hey. Welcome. Hi, hi <laughs> Patreon folks. Welcome to Allie. <laughs> I, people love to cast, you know, write about spells that they're casting. Here's a spell for this. Here's a spell for that. Okay, great. What happened? Where's the proof? How do I know that that spell was effective for you? And then the question of, well, why should I do that? Um, mm -hmm. for myself um, is important. You used basil in this. That's great. Why? And why might I want to use the same ingredient or not? So yeah, I try to encourage people who come to me for any type of guidance or are interested in what I have to say um, to, to, to constantly be asking themselves that. Why am I doing this? And if you're honest with yourself, which is important, and the answer is because I saw it, I saw someone else do it. Then consider that to hear more of the Patreon episode, head over to patreon.com slash clever Kim's curios for a free seven day trial. The $5 tier will give you podcast bonuses, videos, recipes, access to the Marco Polo and Facebook groups and more. There are also tiers starting at $10 where you can get spell boxes, intentional handcrafted jewelry that I make especially for witches, and there's even a special crystal tier. Check it out at patreon.com slash cleverkimscurios. Thanks for listening to this episode of Your Average Witch. You can find us all around the internet on Instagram at Your Average Witch Podcast, Facebook at facebook.com slash Your Average Witch Podcast, 
at youraveragewitch.com and at your favorite podcast service. Want to help the podcast grow? Leave a review. You can review us on Amazon and Apple Podcasts, and now you can rate us on Spotify. You just might hear your review read at the end of an episode. To rate Your Average Witch on Spotify, click the home key, click on Your Average Witch Podcast, and then leave a rating. If you'd like to recommend someone for the podcast, like to be on it yourself, or if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, send an email to youraveragewitchpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next Tuesday. (laughs) 